Good afternoon and welcome to Flat Out Recovery. Good afternoon, gents. Good afternoon. And it is an afternoon. Yep, it is today. That's remember not... my usual morning. Good afternoon, is. Well, and we were intending to do one thing, but we ended up doing another. But then we have some flexibility today. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I do like the idea of it being <laughs> half one. Yeah? Well, no. They're probably 12. 12? Should we have 12? This has been renegotiated from the beginning because it started off at nine. It's Yeah, but it's took me... And it's gradually crept. Two and a half years to get to 12, if I succeed at 12, so... So in a couple of years, he'll be doing it in the evening. He'll be doing it the next morning, (laughs) defeating the object. Yeah, doing it at eight o'clock at night. This is the only time we can do it. Well, unfortunately, no. Anyway, how was our week? Pretty good, yeah. After you got back. Yeah? Yeah, he ended up in hospital. He was there on his own. He eventually mustered up the the courage to tell me where he was. Yeah, he was in a bit of a state. He He had some seizures and stuff. Oh, is that why he ended up in? Yeah, yeah, he was withdrawing, like... Hard. But yeah, he's got back into the organisation I'm with today. That's great. Really That's good, good news. He's feeling a lot better, which has made me very happy. Well, yeah, and the, it's a salutary warning, isn't it? Every time someone ends up in hospital, wrapped with seizures and tubes anywhere and everywhere, it does make you think, doesn't it? It doesn't take long. It's very quick. I've seen it happen in a couple of weeks. You're looking at someone, you're thinking, hang on, we were going to do this two weeks ago, and then he didn't turn up. Now look at him. Mm-hmm. Been fed through a tube, and I think it's important that we say that while it might seem, oh no, this doesn't happen. This is scaremongering. It's not scaremongering. It's what happens. Yeah, the percentage of people who actually get recovery and recover are very, very small. Yeah, yeah, and maintain it particularly. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. A lot of people get the first few months, don't they? Mm-hmm. A lot of people get that opening, but not many follow it through. And I suppose it gets more and more difficult. The more times you try it, if yeah. you keep thinking, oh yeah, I've done this, I've done this, oh, why do I keep doing that within nine months of doing it? Because people get in a cycle, don't they? When I came into recovery, and I really didn't believe that it would be the turnaround from somebody relapsing to being back into recovery would be was, was so quick. I know people can relapse and be out for years and years and years, yeah. and they're lucky to get back. But I think if somebody's in recovery and they're constantly relapsing or they just relapse once, whatever, I still think the person's very lucky because for them to enter that field of recovery, organisations, meetings, they're already in that world, aren't they? Regardless of whether you're relapsing or not, or what position you're in, you're already in that world and you're already surrounded by help and stuff and it's already in the mindset isn't it because a lot of people that relapse if it doesn't kill them they tend to come back and eventually hopefully they cease to come back and they stay but it's for people out there that are drinking or taking drugs and realising it's too much for them and stopping for a bit without no real answer or solution and just trying to do it self willing it those are the ones that I worry about more you know, you know where to run back to, don't you, when you've relapsed? Yeah, I think it depends on where you live. Cause I think we're lucky in Birmingham that there's so many organisations. There's a lot of different meetings, AA, NA, CA. Because I know where I'm from in Wolverhampton, I've known people who've eventually got into rehab, they've messed up, relapsed or whatever, and they haven't managed to get back in because there's no meetings, there's no recovery agencies, there's no help, there's no rehab, there's nothing. 
friend of mine who has contacted me recently, who I used to use with, he's still in active addiction. He was in rehab like about 10 years ago. And he got kicked out, ended up back in Wolves again and, and just using even more, using a lot more, even using things he hadn't used before. And then like trying to help him in that situation where he's looking at like the amount of meetings that are in Wolverhampton, there's like nine in the city centre. There's no CA meetings. There's a couple of AA, a couple of NA, and that's about it. The recovery services are absolutely shocking. They're like underfunded, understaffed, under-resourced. There's no dry houses or organisations that can help you like that. No detox, nothing. And it's absolutely rife in Wolverhampton. Like it's five pound a bag for crack, five pound a bag for heroin. That's how cheap it is. And it's everywhere. It's absolutely ravaged Wolverhampton. You see that person's being in recovery before is a dire situation obviously but he's reached out to you he knows of the services even though there's no services where he lives I suppose that's down to then trying to go further the field it's whether you can do that isn't it it's whether you can up sticks and move and leave where you're living and go to Birmingham or go to another place where there is more help if he's got a flat in Wolverhampton no He's living at his mum's then, between his mum's and his studio. He's an artist and he's got an artist studio. So he sleeps in his studio. He's about one move away from being homeless. I've sent him a few things about detoxes in different parts of the country and stuff like that. And it's, mm -hmm. He needs to reduce on this and that. And the services in Wolves are shocking. Recovery near you, I think they're called. You see them like once a month, you get a telephone call, or how you doing? I think a lot of this is about the size of the city because mm. inevitably there's more in London, there's more in Birmingham, there's more in Manchester. Yeah. Yeah. There are certain towns, seaside towns, where there's more mm. because it's a more affordable place to run a rehab but it's then concentrated in these areas because there's not an overall coherent policy that actually does a blanket coverage because a lot of these extra services we have in Birmingham aren't NHS. Mm -hmm. It's because it's Birmingham, because there's a demand, because it's big. And then we get all this recycled recovery, which, like you said, Ronnie, of people coming back in very quickly. Yeah. That's because they know where to go back in. Yeah. And yeah, it's yeah. because they also know, it proves the old adage, that AA ruins your drinking mm. and NA ruins your using and so on. Because if you've jumped in the boat once and you know, picking it up <laughs> is just proof of the pudding. And unless there's so much guilt and shame associated that you won't make the phone call, usually you end up back in the same service or with another service. Mm -hmm. But the services have to be there in the first place in order for you to be recycled. Like you said, Ronnie, if you're not part of that cycle, mm. then there's the chance of an alcoholic who's just trying to stop for a while dying of a seizure. Yeah. Of course there is. Yeah. Whereas if they've been through any kind of rehab process, they will know, they will at least be informed. But I think the recycling is inevitable because a lot of people go in and they don't go in for the right reasons or they're just doing it because they've got nowhere else to go or they're doing it to shut everyone else up. Some of those people stay for different reasons. Some of them don't. But inevitably, a lot of them get recycled and I think that recycling has to be available. Definitely, yeah. Because so few people get it first time. I know what they do with my organisation when people relapse obviously they're not allowed to stay in the dry house anymore they have other houses like wet houses or halfway houses but they still have a support worker in those yeah. situations so they can monitor 
them and that's the only reason Matt got into hospital was because the support worker ran the ambulance. Do you think those wet houses are now there by force of necessity? Yes. Because before it was this kind of unthinkable idea, wasn't it? Why would we have wet houses? Mm -hmm. We have dry houses with rehab. A wet house is just an excuse for people to take the piss and live under a roof with support when they're not actually going to stop. But actually they do seem to be the stopgap between being on your own and in the hell of it and getting into rehab. Because of course a lot of these rehab services we have here, they can't necessarily offer detox unless you're paying quite a lot of money. See, I was living in a supposedly supported living accommodation, HMO, and when I first said we was allowed to drink, we wasn't allowed to take drugs. By the time I'd left, drugs was allowed only in one room. The crack room. The crack room, yeah. That was because people was going to do it anyway. There was support there if you wanted the help. But unfortunately, there was people in the house that didn't want it. I went in with the desire to stop drinking and to get myself back on track. But that changed quite quickly because I started to notice that the rest of the people in the house didn't want that. There was one chap who wanted it, but you could see that the support that was offered was not going to get him clean. Try and cut down on your crack using, that kind of stuff. Just minimise it just a little bit. I mean, have a day off. Cracks just one of those things that once you start you can't stop not enough crack in the world then there's never going to be enough crack in the world for someone who's just had a lick but i did need that place to live because i would have been homeless i'd have been on the streets because i'd lost my house my family didn't want me living with them because i was becoming a nightmare for them and it's people do need places to live there's all sorts of different types of supported living housing situations mm. there is a problem with it as well yeah and there's a problem with the way it's been set up sometimes in a very cowboy fashion. So if you don't really know what you're getting into, it's a bit of a lucky dip, isn't it? Yeah. They are necessary, but they're not like sort of monitored, really. I don't think they're not held to account. No, and there isn't any consistent regulation of this is the standard of service you've got to provide. Mm -hmm. Because there are some places that are going beyond expectation and others that aren't even bothering. Yeah. One lot just shunt people in there, take the supported housing, don't do anything. Whereas the others, it's fully comp. So it is a bit random. Yeah. But no, it's not monitored at all, is it, really? Not unless the organisation monitors itself and puts it out there, this is what we do. So for anyone who really doesn't know what they're looking for, look at an organisation that makes it clear what happens in the dry house. Yeah. Look at one that's got pictures of the dry house. Look at one that's got... Details of the programme for the dry house. Don't look at one that just says, yeah, we'll take you. <laughs> Low ground rent. Because not all of those will be dry, will they? No. I was in psychiatric unit in Wolverhampton. I had nowhere to go afterwards. So they moved me into this supported living place in Wolverhampton. And on the surface of it, they had a great website, but didn't have one support session in four months. They ended up... There was a few of us in there coming for different reasons, but we'd all been in mental health, and there was issues with substance misuse, and then eventually we all ended up smoking crack together Mm. on a regular basis. One of the guys ended up stabbing the other one because he was trying to nick a bike or something like that. Um, Yeah. God. It was was horrendous. It was a massive house as well. One of the guys nicked the fridge and the washing machine to buy crack. <laughs> yeah. What does happen in them places? I mean, 
the ones that I lived in, the organisation, uh, quite a few HMOs, and I'm not, the standard of the houses was immaculate. Everything was brand new in there. There was a good cleaning rotor and stuff like that. And even though it became a crack house, crack den, it was a spotless crack den. But like you, the, some of the evenings, you know, something went wrong, something went AWOL. We had people coming around, kicking off doors and stuff to some of the tenants that owed them money and things like that. And I had my door kicked off once and well, I don't owe anyone anything, mate. You got the wrong door, but then that would all be covered up before it got to the landlord, you know, fixed, cleaned, nothing ever happened. But then making friends in the area where I lived in the wet house, I seen some other HMOs and they was awful. I couldn't believe what I was seeing when I was going in there, it was just vile. You couldn't see the carpets or no carpets at all. And there is a public perception issue as well, because what happens in the media, we've seen it again and again and again whenever we look, is these stereotypes. Drunks stagger about town centres with bottles of cider with their trousers hanging around their ankles. Addicts are all thieves, drunks are all violent and so on and so forth and you see various things posted around town just going around on the bus and you see someone scrawled no hostel over a building that's not being used and hostels and wet houses and dry houses are sometimes just bunched in the same bag and while on the one hand I don't think we should shirk from telling the horrors of what it's actually like when people are in the thick of it I don't think we should sanitise what we say about that at all and we definitely shouldn't sanitise what withdrawal is like. And it winds me up in the media when they don't show it. They won't show what alcohol does to you. They have this kind of PG-13 version of it. And yet, they want to produce a fully X-rated version of this is how they all behave. Because they're all the same. It's not very well known that alcohol withdrawal can kill you. Heroin withdrawal won't necessarily kill you. Alcohol, alcohol can physically yeah. kill you. And yeah. benzodiazepine. Well, I didn't know you could withdraw from alcohol until my auntie was trying to get me to stop drinking and she took me to CGL. I was quite shaking, I hadn't had a drink for that day. And those were the ones that told me that they wouldn't interview me, that I needed to have a drink. Yeah. And my eyes lit up. Oh, yeah. And when I tried to explain... The whole antenna was on, wasn't it? Yeah. I explained that to my auntie who dragged me in there and I said, the guy in there said, I need to have a drink. My auntie's believing that I was talking out my arse, went in and checked and he was confirmed it and I didn't know that it was dangerous and there'd been many a time when my mum told me that I shouldn't drink it anymore so I'd try and not drink for the afternoon or the morning it was always in the morning that's when my shakes and horrors and terrors was kicking but if I didn't know if someone was hell bent on never drinking again but didn't know it was lethal to do it in the way they was going to do it they'd end up dead a lot of people do die that way mm -hmm. there are various things that go on death certificates around alcohol and drugs, obviously overdoses and obviously by misadventure, but withdrawal is something that does go on death certificates as well. It's often not talked about, but it is, along with organ failure is another thing that goes on death certificates for alcohol and drug misuse. There's something very skewed in the way that this is all represented, that we don't want to face the fact that this is how people die and yet we want to paint them as badly as possible as people. So on the one hand, when we're doing a soap opera about this, we want to sanitise just how awful it is. Mm -hmm. However, we still want to point out that this is an awful person. But then when it comes to death, what we don't want to talk about is what it's actually like and how dangerous it actually is.
and this is not something that only happens to the Joneses at number 72 on the next street. It's happening on your fucking street, because it's happening on every street. Now, even if you think you're in the nicest middle-class street in the world, there'll be Mrs Johnson who's popping pills. <laughs> yeah. Or Mr Barnes who's having his booze delivered, because he doesn't want anyone to see him with clanking bottles, and he's still got the means to get his fine whiskies and vodkas delivered from specialist dealers. And yet at the end, what does he end up with? White frightening for breakfast. <laughs> no, I think in terms of telling the actual story of what it's like of itself, what it's like trying to find services like you were talking about, Aaron, and how it varies so much from one place to another, mm-hmm. what it's actually like to go through treatment and what it's actually like for people who dip, fall out and come back again, like fortunately Matt has. When that is happening, I don't want the media to give some sanitised version of it. Mm -hmm. But I also don't want them to paint it as if anyone that is in any way affected by that is somehow defective Mm -hmm. as a human being, or deficient, or lacking, in that there's something they're not good enough at, so they end up this way, because that's not bloody true either. And yet again, it's our story being told by someone else, really. Yeah, addiction doesn't discriminate. You see all sorts of people from all kinds of walks of life in recovery. I think you see a lot more sympathy in films and stuff. You know, Lost Weekend. It seems to be more understanding because a lot of actors and actresses have been through it themselves, haven't they? I think Leaving Las Vegas is a pretty honest depiction of an alcoholic dying. Mm. Or as honest as I've seen in terms of the way it's represented. But I still think there's this stigmatisation and blame game and it instantly becomes this t-shirt you must wear because this has happened yeah it's like being branded that's why i name myself i define myself i'm not going to be defined by someone else Mm -hmm. because as soon as someone else starts defining me they're trying to tell my story i suppose part of what we do on here is to reclaim those stories don't we yes and to actually shape them the way that we know them because of where we've all been it's great to hear of someone actually getting back. I mean, I know because I do my bit in the treatment place here and, Ronnie, you do something there as well, don't you? But mm-hmm. so many people that go that we don't see come back. Frightening. It's a ridiculous number when I think of how long I've been doing this. It's hundreds that we don't see come back and we don't know what's happened to them. Someone Ronnie told me about the other week who died mm. and I only remembered him because there was something... He did one Friday afternoon that stuck in my memory. That's, yeah, and that's the only way I can describe someone who's passed by a particular event. Of course, it's cause for celebration, really, when someone does get back. But it also reminds me of how many people don't and how many people will have died that we don't know. When I went through treatment, there was a fair few people who started at the same time. There was only two who got through the 12 weeks. Of got through the actual treatment? Got yeah. through the 12 weeks? Yeah, yeah. Wow! Two of us. That's scary. Oh, there's people I've met probably once who I'd never, I'd probably would never. Some of those people get back, but most of them don't. You get a lot of people come from different areas. Yeah, Obviously yeah. getting out of your area is... Mm. Yeah, I mean, I was fortunate in that I came through with a group of people. Two of them have died, actually, due to natural causes. Both died of cancer, but of the group I came through with, there's still, I think, five of us who are still with it today. And not relapsed? Mm. There's then three or four others who came 
in at around the same time who've relapsed and got back. It can become a wave. There's two ways of looking at the dry house living and the suddenly having all these new friends, is that if you get five or six people that are all hell-bent on staying in recovery, mm -hmm. and it's a rare thing, but that's what I ended up with, mm -hmm. if you get that, then some of the people that relapse come back because of that. Yeah. Yeah. Whereas the flip side, I mean, you know this as well as I do, Ronnie, you end up with friends you don't want. Yeah, 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 yeah. I was thinking about this other day, actually, and I was thinking about some of the friends I don't want, and I thought, well, the fact that I've known them for such a long time, it's probably not necessarily a case I don't really want them, but I've just come to learn that I like them in a certain way. There's only certain things I like them, but there's stuff that I don't like them, but, you know, at the end of the day, I would spit on them if there was on fire, whatever the saying is. Those people that I can take or leave, I still take them as people yeah, I know that's in recovery, I mean. you know. Therefore, they become welcome associates rather than friends. Yeah, yeah, definitely. But it can be an absolute quagmire at the beginning because you just landed in this house with people you don't know. And I would imagine that's worse in a wet house than it is in a dry house. Yeah. Especially a wet house or a dry house that's not really regulated or performing the function it claims to be performing. If you're supposed to have support and the support's never there and you're suddenly there with four other people that you don't know and it's all chaotic and that, it probably isn't that beneficial. I suppose it might push you towards thinking, no, I'm going to do this. <laughs> I need to get out of here. Yeah, for some people it's a bit of a wake-up call. Right? They get that little bit of recovery and they end up having a little lapse. And then they get put in the wet house and then they're like, oh, fuck this. No, I don't, wanna, don't ever want to do that again. Yeah, yeah. I'll do anything to avoid that. Well, don't relapse again then. Yeah. All right, yeah. <laughs> no, I think it's a critical point, this thing about how much is available in certain cities, certain areas, certain towns. Because if addicts and alcoholics don't perceive that there's anything there, what's it like for the family? Because they often don't know at all how much is around on their doorstep. I've dealt with people who've asked me, what do I do, who don't even know about this place, don't even know about some of the other relatively large recovery organisations within Birmingham, and they don't know. And they're still thinking, oh, we need to go to the GP. I say to them, well, actually, if you go to the GP, this is what's going to happen. Yeah. <laughs> this <laughs> is what will happen. Isn't it balmy that the GP doesn't recommend you to go to these rehabs and stuff because I remember going to the GP or I've been dragged to the GP twice and you know they offered me diazepam and said to try and cut down no mention of organisations like CGL Changes Lindown nothing none of that there's no cohesion is there between mm. all the, the different agencies depends on the GP I suppose because yeah. some of them will if they know of it but it depends on the GP because some GPs bother to research stuff like that yeah. others may not I know my family were scratching their heads for a long time. My dad, I remember I've been trying to get clean for years and years and just failing. I'd get a couple of weeks and then back at it again. And then I remember sitting there with him one night and I said, like every single time I try and get clean, it gets harder and harder. And I sort of poured my heart out to him, saying that I've been using since I'm like 12, 13 years old. And he's like, why did you start? I don't really know to be honest. And he just thought moving to a nicer area or yeah. away from people would be fine. But he didn't understand that the issue was with me. And, and it travels with you. Yeah, and it did everywhere I went, like every time, without fail. Yeah, because it becomes part of you, doesn't it? It's the way you live. If you've been taking drugs since you were 13, that's the way you live, and that's what you know best. 
It's hard to break that cycle. I think that move elsewhere, if it's rehab, can work. And some people might do that and never look back, but that's kind of incidental. I've heard people say, right, I'm moving to Australia next month, or I'm going round Thailand and the subcontinent for a year and a half travelling, and they come back within weeks, <laughs> and it's, oh, it didn't work. Oh, why didn't it work? <laughs> well, because as soon as I got there, I found this, this, this. Strange that, isn't it? Yeah. You know, I could have found a bottle of vodka on a desert island. But I think every time we try and move to solve it, we won't succeed because it's our solution. It's my solution to go and try this. And every time I try my solution, it doesn't work. And that's the thing I can't see until I hear the actual solution. But for that, I've either got to be in a 12-step room or I've got to be in rehab. Because I won't find that answer anywhere else, will I? The grass is always green on the other side, isn't it? I nearly went, ended up in Ireland, I did, in one of my mad drinking sprees. What, moving there? Fortunately, I didn't get on the plane, but I went to the airport, and I remember standing at the counter saying, I want to book the next flight to Ireland, and I remember having set up and arranged an appointment with an estate agent to view somewhere to rent and all that kind of malarkey, but I got into quite a bit of trouble that night, and didn't make it, thank God. I don't believe I was going to... Ireland to give up drinking I believe I was going to Ireland because I just fancied it as somewhere to live that's different from where I was living and in Carrie I don't want to live where I am I'm going to go somewhere else I'm going to go live somewhere else and the thought of waking up because I did it here I've rented a property here and I woke up in the property and I was like what on earth is going on and that was in Birmingham city centre Ireland's not that far away but you've still got to catch a plane back haven't you mm. <laughs> it's quite drastic too but it wouldn't have worked it didn't work, no, because I remember throwing myself in front of a car to try and get money. This is how bad it got, so they, the guy had run me over, so I wanted money. <laughs> because I realised then when I got to the airport that I had no money to pay for flights, nor to stay in a hotel, because the police wouldn't take me home. I bought coach tickets before to other places. I was going to move to Bristol once. What, you just got a ticket? Yeah, I bought a ticket. To go to Bristol? Yeah, just Without any plan? No, just, I knew a guy there who was squatting. I used to play in a punk band. And I'd, I'd met him. He was just up the road, actually, at the pub, just up the road. And I knew he was there, so I was just going to go to Bristol, try and find him for any random squat. And then just go and start my new life in mm. a squat. In a squat. <laughs> yeah. I'm going to a new life elsewhere, new beginnings, <laughs> with my boat and my garden. Actually, no, I've got no idea what I'm doing. I don't want to go home. I'm going to go and get pissed. <laughs> New beginnings in Bristol. It could have been anywhere, couldn't it? Yeah. yeah. You could have picked, dare I mention, Grimsby again. No, you probably wouldn't pick Grimsby for a fresh start. Quite like being Grimsby. Yeah, it's a decent yeah. little fishing town, really. Not like Hull. I suppose you could just join the asylum queue, couldn't you, in any country you wanted now and just... Claim asylum. But you've got to claim it for a reason. Being drunk wouldn't be a reason. <laughs> there are a set of reasons that qualify for asylum seeking. Well, and I, I don't think being a hopeless, feckless, drunken addict would actually fit the bill. What if you said, look, I've got so many drug dealers after me, they're going to kill me. They're going to chop me up. I don't think that's the same as flying from a war in Liberia. <laughs> Not quite the same thing, Ronnie. Anyway, we don't need to think about that. No, we don't do it. If we do get anyone coming to treatment and say, well, I tried to go to France. <laughs> what did you do? Did you go to the asylum route? Yeah, I tried everything. They said, no, we're not taking you. 
No, we want a real war, not a turf war between drug dealers. I don't need no green card. I'm going to claim asylum. It's an American thing, green card. People used to marry Americans for green cards, didn't they? Mm-hmm. The system started getting corrupted because there were so many people coming in and all sorts of people who didn't know each other getting married. I thought you could still do that, couldn't you? Possibly, probably, yeah. There's a TV programme on about that. Like a documentary, it's quite funny. Let's hope we actually really do fall in love, but at least you'll get your green card. All right, so two people who don't know each other are arranging to get married just so that one of them can have a a card. It's one of those awful reality... Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, let's see how they get on. Let's stick a camera in the house. (laughs) These two people don't know each other. They also don't even speak the same language. (laughs) Let's see how they get on. Here they are having breakfast. Let's look at the neighbours, Mr and Mrs Jones at number 42 who thinks something funny is going on with next door. Mr. Jones is busy making a hole in his garden fence so he can have a good look at what goes on in the garden. What an awful thought for a reality show. It's awful. It's trash. It's absolutely trash. Oh, it's all trash. Yeah, the one thing you can't make an honest and fair reality TV show about is rehab. You'd never be able to do it completely honestly, would you? No, you couldn't. Because the only people you get who'd be prepared to be honest enough would be the people that had already been through rehab and stayed in recovery. Because whenever you're in rehab, your head's up your arse anyway. Mm -hmm. That's part of the point of rehab anyway, isn't it? Because you need to be extracted from From the wider world. And you sit in a room with a lot of other people you don't really know, being overly familiar, carrying on being friends with some of them, but some of the others you try and ignore. And not wanting the world to know where you are. And some of them don't stay, and you don't want the world to know where you are. So no, you couldn't do it, rehab, could you? It'd be fake. I wouldn't put it past them to do a fake one. For free, you can come in free. There's probably a, an American one, isn't there? Yeah, most likely. That guy from that awful band, Busted, did one recently about... Oh, which one? Matt Willis, is that him? Yeah, he was in Busted, wasn't yeah, he? Yeah, yeah. Was he in Muck Busted as well? Muck Busted. When they put them together? Busted and McFly. Probably, yeah. And they became muck busted. <laughs> so they were doubly awful. Yeah. I know a guy who was in the same rehab as him, down in Bournemouth. And in the documentary, it was like an hour or something. I'd end up watching it, I was just interested in it. Probably a lot of muck busted stuff in his step four. I, <laughs> I mean, they did play their own instruments. You've got to give them that. They did, but the, the music was awful. However, when you're going to level your wrongs, and apologise for stuff. If you've made music like that, that's a big deal. Being able to look back on it and think, God, we were crap. <laughs> I think they're trying to come back again. I think they're, they're the thing is, they must be in their 40s now, or not far off. Yeah, they're about my age, I think. I'm 39, so they've got that old married with kids and stuff. Yeah, so I saw a picture of Hanson recently. Oh, really? Because they were like boys, weren't they? Yeah, Hanson. The little one was three foot tall or something, yeah. the one on the drums. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. And they're all still around. Their family was like oil tycoons or something. And I didn't like their music either, to be honest. Yeah, some of them shouldn't do comebacks. Tell you what, I saw a picture of who does look like he needs rehab or something. Remember the kid from Terminator 2? Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. I seen a picture of him recently. He's got put on a lot of weight, hasn't he? Ed Furlong. Yeah, he was in American History X as well, wasn't he? Yeah, because he looks... Oh, dear. What's happened to him? He's going all over beasts and stuff. Well, he looks like Nick Nolte's been his doctor for 30 years. <laughs> Actually, though, Nick Nolte's probably in recovery for all I know, but I remember 
some of the stuff he was doing around the height of his legal trouble. And he did this one film where there was an NA meeting in Paris in the middle of the film. And he walks through the meeting and goes, Hi, I'm, I'm Nick, I'm an addict. And walks straight through and straight out. <laughs> <laughs> I'm Nick, I'm an addict. Well, put your money where your mouth is. Mm-hmm. Harvey Keitel took whatever he took when he was making Bad Lieutenant. Really? Yeah. For me, that's pushing it yeah. quite a long way for an actor to do that. <laughs> of course. That method acting, yeah. Yeah, taking to extremes, really, isn't it? Uh-huh. It's not just like, I'm going to do what the person did. It's... I'm going to just really do it. I'm going to really do it. Well, they must all suffer for their art. God, I'm suffering for mine at the moment. This play, it's all about will the goat shit at the right time. Will the ghost shit at the goat shit? Because the, the goat, goat shit. The goat shit comes out while she's trying to milk the goat. <laughs> it worked beautifully last night, and it's visible too. And the goat's head looks like a muppet. Will the goat shit at the right time? <laughs> Well, yeah, we were talking about slogans last week, weren't we? About platitudes. All these slogans that don't mean anything. Mm-hmm. And WhatsApp groups. Yeah, because I was editing the stuff about the WhatsApp groups, and I just thought, this is so on point. I really don't want to be part of any group that's just got this barrage of banality going through it every single morning. The last thing I want, first thing in the morning, is a load of pinging on the phone. And I don't want to turn it off. I mean, obviously, I turn it off while I'm doing this. But I don't want to turn it off normally because there's an element of being antisocial doing that. And of course you miss things practically. But the last thing I want first thing in the morning is ping, 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 ping. Well, I had a dilemma this morning because my phone's normally on silent while I'm doing my morning routine, my meditation. Oh yeah, fair enough. But I couldn't have it on silent this morning because I was waiting for a call of the doctor. I just kept getting interrupted by the phone and I realised this morning how it's just non-stop in the mornings. Yeah. And I've muted a lot of WhatsApp groups, and I've even muted them and then archived them. And then I question why am I even on them in the first place? I don't bother with them. That whole, oh, everyone's saying good morning to each other, and this is just... Uh, it just feels fake to me. Yeah. And then, then people start getting resentful because they've been kicked off WhatsApp groups because they've relapsed and stuff. Like primary school, then. Yeah, it? I mean, it's all like, it's okay not to be okay. That's just that's one of the worst things. Anyway, it's okay like, not to be okay. It's a, that's a ridiculous thing to say. Just it's not okay because it doesn't feel okay. <laughs> no. I find there's that fine line between because like, fellowship isn't religious, but then you'll get people who, when they start finding their higher power and stuff like that, yeah, they start extending like a lot of. Some of them do find God. Yeah, yeah, find God, and then that represents their higher power and like going on about God and His grace, and it's just like I don't buy into any of that. That's sort of my issue. Yeah, it's a fine line. Well, not that I'm pandering to Ronnie in any way, shape or form, but I am prepared to go at 12. Oh. <laughs> Revelation. Because it does allow me to do certain other things in the morning. 12 it is then. As long as that's all right with you, Aaron. Yeah, that's fine. Because it does allow me to structure my day more easily because it means I've got a significant chunk of time before I do this. I will just stay in bed for another hour. But it makes the world. I didn't need the world to know that, Ronnie. That you only want the twelve o'clock so that you can stay in bed for an extra hour. You don't want it for any other practical or plausible it is, reason. It is practical because it means I get to have a line. Because on Friday morning I don't, Saturday morning I don't, Sunday, Monday, Wednesday. So it gives me two lines a week. 
Two. Because every other day there's something that needs doing in the morning, which I'm quite pleased. About. I had a line yesterday because I got up at quarter to eight. This is my idea of a line. Nine o'clock for me is a long. Sometimes later. Sometimes if I can't be bothered, I don't get to bed. Actually, I can get my head around nine o'clock. I just can't sleep past that point because I'm too aware that it's daytime and I can hear stuff going on outside and I can hear this, that and the other side. But the light affects me very significantly in the summer. I get up even earlier in the summer than I do in the winter. When I have a coffee shop next to me, you tend to find that, I don't know what these, you know, the women, they kind of gather for a social gathering and tap coffee. That's a remarkably warped I know. perception of it. Just want to give you something to do, some, <laughs> some medicine to do. Most of the editing I do is actually trimming it for time. What I had to do at the beginning was Herculean. It was huge, the amount of editing to be on with. But that's because he'd never been on something like this before. And we had Courtney as well. And just when Ronnie was starting to find his feet a bit, then there was that picture. Then there was a picture? Of his bald head. And he couldn't cope with it. <laughs> and he had to run away abroad to get his hair fixed. But just when he'd acquired some degree of confidence, there was the picture of the head. And I thought, oh, no. <laughs> I'm going to have to get him a wig or something. And then he went off and got it sorted himself. But no, it was a huge editing job at the beginning because I had two of you that hadn't really done anything like it before. And I had to do everything I possibly could to make you sound okay. <laughs> no, because I didn't want you to sound bad. Because when people are stuttering, and also we had a lot of background noise as well. Fits of laughter. And we was also doing it in a tiny little room there, which was really small, so it was claustrophobic and hot. Yeah, it was, now that I think about it, mm. talk about tiny, yeah. But we're still here today. That is an achievement in itself. No. The fact that we're still with it now. Anyway, we are done for this week. If you've heard anything that's resonated with you concerning yourself or anyone else you know and love or don't know, or just lives on your street or you happen to work with or anyone at all, then do seek help. There's plenty out there. You can Google addiction, alcoholism, rehab. There are plenty of organisations out there that can help, many of whom do not charge, some of them do, but mm -hmm. you are able to make an informed decision if you research it and find out what's best for you. We will love you and leave you, and have a wonderful weekend, and we will be back next week. Thank you, gentlemen. Thank you. Good night.